All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bull and Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, April 18th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Oshwa Nunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. But one thing we don't do for you, Jill, is your taxes. (laughs) No, we do not. And uh, a friendly reminder, it's tax day. Taxes are due. Yeah, get them done by the end of the day. Or they have that useful thing called extensions. So you can also file for an extension today if you can't crash your taxes. All right, let's get to the headlines. Prosecutors in Kansas City announced charges against the 85-year-old homeowner who shot a black teen twice last week. That teen went to the wrong address to pick up his brothers. State of the nation, half of Americans now call themselves independents. That's equal to all Democrats and Republicans combined. Top House Republicans in New York City, first to attack the city's crime record and also to reassure investors that they want a deal to prevent the nation from defaulting this summer. A major arrest of Chinese operatives here in the U.S. that were allegedly trying to threaten and harass dissidents at a secret police station in New York City. AI deepfake porn is the latest fear in the artificial intelligence race. It comes as the message from the Google CEO is to slow things down. As Netflix tries to basically become TV and produce more live events, a major fail Sunday night that left fans of one show waiting and waiting and waiting. And in Boston Monday, some history was made at the marathon, and Mosh has on this day in history. Jill, one word for you, umbop. Or is that two words? Umbop. <laughs> one word, I think, Mosh. All right, we'll have that for you in On This Day in History. All right, let's start with what we know about that shooting of a Missouri teen, Ralph Yarl. The 16-year-old high school junior was shot in the head and arm in Kansas City after showing up at the wrong house to pick up his younger twin siblings on Thursday night. Yarl was supposed to pick up his brothers at 10.30 p.m. on Northeast 115th Terrace, but he mistakenly went to Northeast 115th Street, which was just a block away. Now, according to Jarl's aunt, the homeowner opened his door and then opened fire on Jarl. After hitting him once, he allegedly took a second shot, hitting him in the head again. Jarl was able to get up and run to get help. He attempted to ask for help from three neighboring homes until someone was able to get help for him, according to his family. He suffered life-threatening injuries and was rushed to a hospital. The homeowner who fired the weapon was taken into custody and released after 24 hours on Friday. 
Then late Monday, prosecutors named and charged the shooter, Andrew Lester, an 85-year-old white man. He was charged with two felonies for shooting Yarl twice. And late Monday, they issued a warrant for his arrest. Jill, on Monday afternoon, the prosecutor of Clay County there, Zachary Thompson, uh, addressed all of this, including the charges. He did say in his press conference that there was a racial component to the case, though he did not go into details here. He reiterated that the rounds were shot through the glass door by the 85-year-old homeowner there. He noted that the victim here, Yarl, never tried to enter the home, never crossed the threshold. Thompson added that there were no words exchanged. It is in dispute right now whether Yarl knocked on the door or rang the doorbell, but again, never crossed the threshold, no words exchanged. And incidentally, there is no video of the incident and no witnesses. Right now, based on these two charges, Lester faces 25 years to life and then another 15 years on the second charge. Keep in mind here, he is 85 years old. I was talking to somebody, Jill, with Missouri law enforcement, who is a follower in the Mo News community, and says that assault in the first degree here is what you charge people in Missouri if a person survives, if some of you are asking why he's not being charged with attempted murder here. The police were under a lot of pressure here to make an arrest, especially after releasing Lester uh, pretty quickly after the incident on Thursday. The prosecutor was under pressure to charge here and clearly made the decision here that there are uh, substantial charges here. Missouri does have a stand your ground law. About half the states now in the U.S. have stand your ground laws. They're designed to allow people who feel threatened to defend themselves with firearms without requiring them to flee at all or retreat before taking violent action. So under Missouri law, a person may use physical force, including a weapon, if they reasonably believe that they are under threat. Under current law, a shooter has to prove that it was a life-threatening situation. They were under imminent threat. So that'll be the question here. What will uh, Lester here be able to prove when it comes to the 16-year-old who was there to pick up his twin brothers with no words exchanged and shooting him through a door? And as of right now, there's no evidence that the 16-year-old had any weapons with him. So the family has hired Ben Crump. He works on a lot of these cases, celebs from Kerry Washington to Halle Berry, activists really pushing for charges to be filed here. I wanted to quickly read from something that my friend Nero Feliciano wrote on Instagram. Nero, if you remember, is that psychotherapist that I interviewed about mental health a few weeks ago. She is a first-generation South Asian American. She has a 14-year-old son, And she wrote something on Instagram that I just wanted to read uh, with her permission, of course. She wrote, most of my friends with dark skinned sons are well aware of this reality. We think of it often. It shapes the decisions we make when it comes to parenting and what we allow them to do and where we'll allow them to go. We think about it when it comes to where they spend spring break and how late they can hang out with their friends. Psychological research shows that dark-skinned adolescent boys are often perceived older than they are and treated accordingly when perceived as a threat. It doesn't take much to actually be perceived as a threat. This is once again heartbreaking. Yeah, in this case, uh, poor Ralph Yarl. Again, we're still waiting on more details in this case, but he appears to have been in the band, a good student, and he showed up at Northeast 115th Street instead of Northeast 115th Terrace. And that was the mistake he made because it appears, at least as of this Monday evening, that no words were exchanged here and he was shot through the door just trying to pick up his younger twin brothers. We talked, Jill, a bit about the stand your ground laws. And what's interesting is Missouri is actually considering an even looser standard. So I explained earlier that in this case, the defendant, Lester, will have to prove that this was a life-threatening situation, that this was an imminent threat. Well, Missouri in the legislature right now is actually debating a looser standard 
where a shooter won't have to prove it was even self-defense anymore. It'll be on the police or prosecutors to prove otherwise. This bill is opposed by law enforcement and prosecutors groups. They're calling it basically a permission to murder law. So we'll see where that goes in the Missouri legislature. Keep in mind here, when it comes to these stand your ground laws, the advocates here say that they give people the right to protect themselves. They've been heavily pushed for by the NRA. Critics say the laws encourage violence and they allow for legal racial bias. We are praying here for the recovery of Ralph Yarrell, and we'll await uh, to hear more details on what Lester has to say about this entire incident. All right, let's switch gears and, and talk a little politics. A new Gallup poll last month found that a record 49% of Americans, one out of two, see themselves as politically independent. Meanwhile, 25% say they consider themselves to be Democrats, and another 25% considered themselves Republicans. So this means that independents now equal the two major parties put together. This trend means rising future challenges to the might and money of Democrats and Republicans. And also, it helps to explain how volatile and evenly split our politics are, notably with the rise of independents. Every U.S. election, every two years since 2004, has seen the White House, Senate, or House flip control. The only exception to that was in 2012. The reason for this flip-flop antsy, unsatisfied, independent voters. Gallup analyst Jeff Jones telling Axios that a big reason for this change is actually the younger generation. He said it was never unusual for younger adults to have higher percentages of independence than older adults. But what is unusual is that as Gen X and millennials get older, they're staying independent instead of picking a party as older generations tended to do. Well, first things first, I want to thank Jeff Jones for calling all Gen Xers and millennials younger generation here, Jill. <laughs> I actually thought the same. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't even understand this the, quote. The kids these days, the gen, like, first of all, uh, congrats to you, Gen Xers. You guys are often forgotten because we typically just talk about boomers, Gen Z, and millennials. So you're not forgotten here. And it appears here that Gen X and older millennials are really driving our politics right now. They might not be in elected office. We know that that is uh, the terrain of much older people, but at least when it comes to voting and voting trends. So Jill, what's interesting here is when Gallup began conducting these interviews in the late 80s, there was a similar proportion of Democrats, Republicans, and independents. And then in the 90s, independents began to outnumber Republicans and Democrats. Don't forget Ross Perot and his big run for president. He's one of the reasons why Bill Clinton was actually able to become president with less than 50% of the vote. That advantage then faded in the 2000s. However, over the course of the last 15 or so years, independent identification has grown and reached levels not seen before. So Jill, as you mentioned, the independents here who used to have party affiliation are basically just swinging, being like, this side sucks, this side sucks, this side <laughs> sucks. And so that explains our politics and the constant swings. You know, people might not remember this, but there was a time where Congress was controlled by Democrats for like 40 years. Um, and now we're dealing with congressional control going back and forth every two years, every four years. And so what's notable here is Democrats believe they have an advantage here with independence. They see them as more socially liberal, especially on issues like climate change, abortion, etc. And younger voters like us millennials and Gen Xers. Again, I think this is the only time Gen Xers have been called young, but you guys deserve <laughs> I'll it. take it because <laughs> I'm at that. I'm sort of like the young Gen X. Yes, I'm yeah. a cusper. You're a cusper, you know, late 70s, early 80s. They don't have a home just on the Oregon Trail. And so Democrats think that they can keep this advantage here 
But if you look at Biden's approval level, that was in the 30% range, 30 to 35% range recently. And most of them don't want him to run again. So you have both parties here uh, trying to figure out what to make of independence. I heard from a lot of people on Instagram on Monday, Jill, because I was asking people, you know, what are you? And, you know, makeup was pretty similar. And then I followed up with, are you an independent or do you have a party based on the way your state is structured? Because one thing to keep in mind, everyone, while we all hate the parties and they're annoying and they've gone to two extremes and all the various things I hear out there, when you're registered independent in many states, that actually prevents you from voting in primaries. Like, for example, Jill, where we live in New York, you have to vote in your party primary. And if you're registered independent, if you're an independent, you can't vote in the Democrats and, you know, in so many state offices here, Democrats control everything. So many people were telling me, voters in Florida saying, I register as a Republican here. Uh, Utah, I heard this as well, because it allows me to actually pick a more moderate candidate, a candidate of my choosing in the primaries. Same thing in New York, people who describe themselves as independents or even Republicans. I register as a Democrat up here so I can actually have a say in you know who ends up being in office. I think these numbers are fascinating and it really speaks to why our political system is so broken right now. It's because these extreme candidates are the ones that win primaries and then everyone else is kind of stuck with them for the general election. And I feel like many times you hear people saying, how are these the candidates? And it's because of our system. Well, because the rational people have left the parties, they've become independents, they don't vote in the primaries, they show up in November every two years, if you show up to vote, I hope you all do, who listen here. And then you're like, wait, how are these my choices? Well, you didn't engage in the primary, the only people left who describe themselves as Democrats and Republicans tend to be the hardcores. So the hardcores in the parties tend to be more extreme, they're picking your candidates. So when you independents show up to vote in November, you're like, who chose these candidates? Like, well, the hardcore people left, those 25% Democrats and 25% Republicans. But it does, I think, give interesting context, Jill, to when polls come out saying, you know, the majority of Democrats believe X, the majority of Republicans believe X. Let's say the poll that came out recently showing that half of registered Republicans want Trump to be reelected. Well, that's half of 25%. So that is really 12% of the country uh, that believes that. So I think these numbers help people hopefully understand polling and, and give extra context there. All right, now let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor, Athletic Greens. I have been drinking their AG1 supplement in the mornings now for the past few weeks. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder, just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It is easy, quick, and lets you get on with your day knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal. It's an opportunity to start to take ownership of your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from Reuters. U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on Monday outlining spending cuts. He says his fellow Republicans would demand in exchange for voting to raise the federal government's $31.4 trillion debt ceiling. Remember the debt ceiling? That deadline is now a couple of months away to raise the amount the U.S. government can borrow to avoid a potentially catastrophic default. 
McCarthy's proposals include cutting spending to last year's levels and reversing some of President Biden's policy goals. These are the ideas that Republicans who control the House have been floating for weeks that have been rejected by Democrats who control the Senate and White House. The Democrats want a clean debt ceiling increase, similar to what House Republicans voted on for Trump three times to raise the debt ceiling. McCarthy sketched out his ideas in a speech at the New York Stock Exchange, trying to reassure investors that this will be solved if there's a compromise. It comes as the government ticks closer to the moment sometime this summer when it will no longer be able to meet its financial obligations. Inaction by the divided Congress ultimately would trigger a historic default that would shake the U.S. and world economies. Yes, this may seem familiar because the last time we got this close was just about 12 years ago. We then had a Democratic president, Barack Obama, and a Republican-controlled House at the time. That standoff over the debt ceiling triggered the first credit downgrade of the U.S. in history, and investors are already showing signs of worry about this one. One gauge of the risk of a U.S. default is at the highest since 2012. It has climbed sharply this year as the debt ceiling debate has intensified. Keep in mind, back in 2011, we did not default but came very, very close. And so we could be docked here in the U.S. even if we don't ultimately default here. The Treasury Department has warned that the government could hit what they call the X date when it is no longer able to pay all its bills as early as June 5th. So mark that one in your calendar. But the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office forecast that this X date might come sometime between July and September. So regardless, sometime between Memorial Day and Labor Day, the U.S. will no longer be able to pay its debts. That's why this is so important. And that's the argument the White House is making here, saying, hey, listen, House Republicans, ultimately, this is not about our current spending. This is about what we already owe people and making good on the U.S. promise. Uh, This has huge ramifications. As far as background here, debt ceiling started back in World War One. We've raised it 100 plus times over the years, never a controversy. But in recent years, specifically when Republicans control parts of Congress, Democrats are in the White House, Republicans use it as an opportunity to complain about too much spending. The debt ceiling has gone from $1 trillion to $31 trillion since Ronald Reagan. Each of the last three presidents, Republican and Democrat, Bush, Obama, and Trump, have each seen the debt go up about six or seven trillion during their uh, White Houses. And the country keeps on borrowing to keep economic growth growing here. And so we're coming up against the deadline here, Jill, and we know Congress likes to procrastinate until the last possible moment. And McCarthy wasn't the only top Republican in New York on Monday. This from ABC News. House Republican leaders took their attack on Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg to New York City. They held a hearing on what they say is a local crime crisis a move Democrats called a political stunt aimed at protecting former President Trump. So GOP Representative Jim Jordan, a close ally of former President Trump, convened the House Judiciary Committee Monday morning on location in Lower Manhattan, just around the block from Bragg's office. Earlier this month, of course, Bragg brought up Trump on a 34-count indictment, drawing fire from Republicans who claim that Bragg should be focused on city crime instead. At a hearing interrupted by protesters who were angry at Bragg, witnesses who were picked by Republicans told lawmakers that the prosecutor's policies had made the city more dangerous. Democrats, though, pushed back with statistics to claim other cities were doing much worse. Is that the response? <laughs> like, shouldn't you just say <laughs> we're we're doing well? <laughs> well, Bragg was tweeting out statistics and he made a note of the fact, Jill, that New York is actually doing better in 2023 than 2022. But he did note when you look at per capita violent crime that 
Jordan, Jim Jordan's home city, Columbus, Ohio, is has three times as much violent crime as New York City when you look at it on a population per capita basis. So, Jill, this is a rare situation where Congress kind of goes on a roadshow here and they're making a point. Apparently, they might be headed to Chicago and San Francisco next. Republicans clearly uh, have been driving the crime narrative here. And we can get more into the numbers here in a second. But ultimately here, Bragg is one of the biggest foes for Donald Trump right now, right? He indicted the former president. And Jim Jordan Republicans are looking to uh, drive a wedge here, uh, take Bragg down a notch. During his campaign for office, Bragg did advocate for more progressive approaches to prosecutions, promoting alternatives to prison for some offenders. Though we should note, according to the latest NYPD stats, that arrests for major crimes increased by 22% last year compared with the previous year, but it's smaller crimes like theft where arrests are down significantly. Bragg, we should mention, was not invited to the hearing. He wasn't at the hearing. So the best he could do, Jill, were those tweets we mentioned. And there's been a lot of back and forth here. Uh, last week, Bragg filed a lawsuit against Jim Jordan. That came after Jim Jordan tried to subpoena Bragg to testify about the indictment, even though they haven't even gotten to trial yet. So this is just kind of the latest in the back and forth between Alvin Bragg and uh, Jim Jordan and Republicans. But it does come against the backdrop of crime being a big uh, talker, a big issue here in a number of major American cities. Moshe, I think some critics of Alvin Bragg and, and his progressive policies would point to some of the statistics that you had posted on the Instagram account with the shoplifting stats. And you sourced the New York Times here. Nearly a third of all shoplifting arrests in New York City last year involved a tiny number of shoplifters, just 327 people, according to police. But collectively, they were arrested and then rearrested more than six thousand times, according to the police commissioner. And law enforcement have blamed not only this proliferation of organized shoplifting crimes, but also those new state bail laws, which decriminalized petty theft. And that was similar to what Alvin Bragg ran on, which is really to ease up on the prosecution on what they consider victimless crimes. Right. If you steal under a certain portion, a couple hundred dollars, it's different in San Francisco, different in Chicago, different in New York. Uh, you don't face prosecution. And so that's a real criticism here. You know, what's interesting about this debate, Jill, is in many cases, you have Republicans saying, you know, New York's a hellhole. These cities are a hellhole. You're going to be murdered left and right. Well, that's not necessarily true. Then you have Democrats saying, you know, things have never been safer. Like, what are people talking about? And their point is certain statistics. Well, it depends on your statistics, right? It turns out that our cities were much more dangerous in the 80s and 90s. Yes, you know, you were much more likely to be murdered in New York 30 years ago than today. But if you look over the last few years, yes, crime has gone up over the last few years. So let's all be honest with the numbers here. Let's be honest that there's multiple potential reasons for this. But, you know, politics tends to oversimplify this. So you saw this like dog and pony show the Republicans put on with Matt Gates and Jim Jordan in New York, uh, where they were only talking to people who are very critical of Bragg for a specific purpose. Then you have Bragg defending himself with certain stats and ignoring other stats. So as we often tell you on this podcast, the truth is somewhere in the middle. It's complicated. And if both sides would acknowledge certain issues and not point to extremes, we might actually get somewhere. You know, it's funny, Jill, I'll often get notes on Instagram being like, is it safe to travel to New York? I'm like, yes, you'll be fine. When you look at per capita, you're actually, unfortunately, you know, again, much more likely to be the victim of violent crime in many American cities, in Memphis, in New Orleans, in Houston. I could go on. Like, 
dozens and dozens and dozens of cities. New York is a very safe city by comparative standards. At the same time, there have been certain measures taken in New York City and certain numbers have been trending up in the past couple of years where it is not as safe in 2023 as it was in 2017, but much more safer than it was in 91. But who cares? So anyway, sorry for the rant there. But I think it's just important to point these things out to people that it's not as simple as a headline from a partisan source sometimes. From the Wall Street Journal, some major charges announced Monday when it comes to how the Chinese government targets dissidents and critics here in America. Two men were arrested Monday on charges that they helped establish a secret police station in New York City on behalf of the Chinese government. At the same time, three dozen officers with China's National Police Force were charged with using social media to harass dissidents inside the U.S. The cases taken together are part of a series of Justice Department prosecutions in recent years aimed at disrupting Chinese government efforts to locate pro-democracy activists and others who are openly critical of Beijing's policies. In that first case, two men were accused of operating that secret Chinese police outpost that they operated in Manhattan's Chinatown One of more than 100 Chinese police operations around the world, they are concerning diplomats and intelligence officials. The case represents the first time criminal charges have been brought in connection with such a police outpost. Feels like such an invasion, right? (laughs) Jill, we were talking about law enforcement in New York City in the last story. In this case, this is the Chinese police engaged in having a secret police station in the middle of Chinatown. You know what's interesting, Jill? It did perform some basic services. Apparently, it helped Chinese citizens renew their Chinese driver's licenses. (laughs) But it also, so sort of DMV, but it also served a much more sinister function, according to the FBI, including helping the Chinese government locate pro-democracy activists of Chinese descent living here in the U.S. So needless to say, this story did get a lot of attention on Monday. You would think, Moshe, that if you are a Chinese American and you've chose to live here in the United States, that you are pro-democracy, that you are living here and you've decided to move here for a reason. I live in an area with a lot of Chinese Americans and I've spoken to them. And, and that is the sense that I get. Yes, you live here in America and you're allowed to criticize the American government. You're allowed to criticize anything you want, including the Chinese government. But this is China expanding its reach. It's what they call, Jill, transnational repression. And Justice Department officials in recent years have prioritized prosecutions. And it's not just the Chinese, it's other foreign governments like the Saudis, etc., in which foreign governments are working to identify, intimidate, and silence dissidents who might be involved in riling up the people, so to speak, back at home. In that other case you mentioned, by the way, prosecutors say defendants back in China use social media to spread Chinese government propaganda and try to recruit U.S. citizens to act as Chinese agents against other Chinese people here in the U.S. In that case, all of those people are back in China and and really unable to be arrested. But there were at least two arrests in the secret police station case. But we'll keep tabs here because this is, you know, obviously pretty concerning uh, and something that uh, FBI officials say is on the rise. All right. On to some tech news from the AP. There is growing fear that new artificial intelligence technology could worsen something that primarily harms women, non-consensual deep fake pornography. Deep fakes are videos and images that have been digitally created or altered with artificial intelligence. Porn created using the technology first began spreading across the internet several years ago 
when users would place the faces of female celebrities on the shoulders of porn actors. Since then, deep fake creators have disseminated similar videos and images targeting online influencers, journalists, and others with a public profile. And some have been offering users the opportunity to create their own images, essentially allowing anyone to turn whoever they wish into sexual fantasies without their consent or use the technology to harm former partners, the problem grew as it became easier to make these sophisticated and visually compelling deep fakes. Jill, it's a discussion I had on one of the panels last week on CNN on Thursday night. That panel actually included Mike Rowe. Some of you might be familiar with him from Dirty Jobs. He was actually the victim of a deep fake a few years ago where they essentially had a photo and interview of him promoting erectile dysfunction medication, talking about his own problems. It was all fake. Apparently, it convinced his parents, though. He was saying on the show that his dad called him being like, hey, are you doing okay there? And he's like, no, that wasn't me. This is a deep fake used to promote this medication. And they keep getting worse and worse. And obviously, that was the pre-AI era. Now we're in the AI era. There was a huge 60 Minutes piece. I don't know if some of you caught it on Sunday, but it included an interview with the Google CEO, Sundar Pichai, who said that the push to adopt artificial intelligence technology must be well-regulated to avoid potential harmful effects. He says the pace of all of this does keep him up at night and there is an urgency to work and deploy it in a beneficial way. But at the same time, he says it can be very harmful if deployed wrongly. So the Associated Press here is focused on this one potential avenue. Something we discussed last week, Jill, is that AI now allows politicians to also say, I never said that, right? When you point out a video clip of a politician you know, saying something that's hypocritical to a current approach, they would have to answer for it. They should have to answer for it. Now they can be like, well, that was probably AI. AI has gotten so good. You know, that was totally not me. You can imagine even today, if the Access Hollywood tape came out on Trump, Jill, he'd just be like, yo, that's AI. Somebody's faking my voice. Back then, he had to address it, right? And so Did he that's even address one- it? I, feel, I don't ever remember him responding to it. Yeah, he, he called it locker room talk. He ah, said, right, oh, right. that's locker room talk. Like, he excused it. Today, you might be able to call it AI. And by the way, it goes across the political spectrum. So you have the Google CEO pointing that out. It does come, by the way, we should note that Google is behind Microsoft. Microsoft is way ahead right now with ChatGPT versus what Google's developed, which is called BARD, B-A-R-D. So some people are saying, this is just Google trying to slow things down so they can catch up. Though we should know that Google has you know, a policy, a motto, they say, of don't be evil. And he says they still ascribe to the motto, don't be evil when it comes to how they're developing AI here, Jill. All right, from the Boston Globe, it was a sweep for Kenya at the 2023 Boston Marathon Monday as Evans, Shabet, and Helen Obiri won the men's and women's races respectively. Shabet claimed his second consecutive Boston Marathon, the first man to defend his title since 2008 in an unofficial time of two hours, five minutes, and 54 seconds. I cannot even run a half marathon in that time. <laughs> On the women's side, Helen Abiri took the honors in only her second official marathon, finishing in two hours, 21 minutes, and 38 seconds. More than 30,000 athletes from all 50 states and more than 100 countries participated in the famed 26.2-mile course. This year's race marked the 10-year anniversary of the double bombings that took place near the finish line, killing three people and injuring at least 264 Jill, as far as the American finishers, uh, on the women's side, American Emma Bates finished in fifth place with a time of two hours, 22 minutes, and 10 seconds. The top American on the men's side finished in seventh place. 
Uh, Bates is somebody to watch, by the way. She's qualified for the American team at the Paris Olympic Games in 2024 and has a couple more races coming up in the near term. All right, Mosh, from Variety, Netflix's Love is Blind reunion is now finally available on the streaming service starting more than 19 hours after it was supposed to stream live. On April 4th, Netflix announced their second ever live special would be the season four reunion. It was set to debut at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday night. However, because of technical issues, that did not happen. So they kept saying that it would just be a few moments if people would be patient. First, the web browser user interface showed an error message reading, pardon the interruption, we're having trouble playing Netflix. Please check your internet and try again. Yeah, it's your problem. It's your problem, everybody. (laughs) I was not watching this. I don't watch the show, but that is just infuriating if you were so excited to watch this. Um, The co-host, Vanessa Lachey, thanked fans for being patient. She shared a video of herself and her husband in their seats, ready to go live in front of the studio audience. She stated that the entire cast was on stage, revealing that the delay had nothing to do with the participants. She said, apparently, y'all, everyone broke the internet to see this reunion. We're ready to roll. They were ready to roll. They eventually rolled, but to tape. By the way, it does not appear that anyone broke the internet last night. The internet was working fine. Something went down at Netflix. They still haven't revealed what it is, but they kept saying, okay, it'll be later on Sunday night. It'll be early Monday morning. Finally, noon on Monday, the reunion was available. We will await details to find out what happened behind the scenes here, Jill. We did talk earlier this year about the first ever live special on Netflix. That actually went off without a hitch. That was the Chris Rock comedy special it looks like though when they tried to do it all over again something went wrong here they might not be ready to be a television network quite yet joe Mosh, anytime I hear about live TV in any capacity, the Bill O'Reilly, I'll do it live, do it live, that clip just pops into my head. It's a viral moment that's almost 30 years old now, uh, if you can believe it, of uh, Bill O'Reilly. Just upset they had to pre-tape stuff and just said, (laughs) do it live. It appears the problem is the opposite at Netflix. They can't do it live. They need to tape everything, at least for now, though I imagine um, some heads will roll there or they're going to reassess if they plan on doing more live events. And as we know, you know, live is a key. You know, we both worked in television, live news, live sports, live reality shows are the last few things that people will tune in for that will drive ratings. And that's clearly a strategy that Netflix is pursuing here. All right, now time for On This Day in History on this April 18th. We're going to start in 1906, Jill. On this day, one of the most significant earthquakes of all time, the Great San Francisco Quake shook. More than 3,000 people died. 80% of the city was destroyed. It is remembered as the deadliest earthquake in American history. A number of lessons were learned from it, including the full extent of the San Andreas Fault. Most of the city at the time in San Francisco was not fireproofed, so they learned that lesson. For context, for those familiar with the 1989 Bay Area quake that, of course, interrupted the World Series that year, the 1906 quake released 16 times more energy than the 89 quake. So it was a power. All right, on this day in 1984, Michael Jackson underwent surgery to repair the damage on a patch of his scalp that was burned during the filming of a Pepsi commercial. His hair was lit on fire. He was brought to the ER, who would eventually make a recovery and go on to make some of his best music. But the recovery led him to take Oxy and led to him becoming addicted to painkillers. It's something his family pointed to that would later lead to his uh, addiction to pain meds and then his untimely death. All right, a happy 105th birthday, Jill, to Clifton Hillgas. Clifton was born on this day in 1918. He would go on to create 
Cliff's notes. Thank you, Clifton. You got me through high school. I too would like to thank Clifton. Unfortunately, he passed away a couple years ago, but I thought it was worth marking his birthday today just to tell his story. He began Cliff's notes in 1958 as $1 reprints of Canadian study guides. He had a deal with a number of campus bookstores and colleges across the country. The close relationships gave him the first outlet for his notes. And so, Jill, I think that without Cliff's notes, I'm not sure I would have gotten through AP literature back there in high school. <laughs> All right, Jill, it's a big week for 90s music history. We're going to begin with this one. Twenty-seven years ago this week, that was no doubt releasing their song "Don't Speak." All right, so that was 1996, and then this week in history, in 1997, we first started hearing this song. How could you forget it? That's Hanson's Mbop out 26 years ago today, Jill. Mbop. Uh, it makes me happy. I, it is a song that will forever make me happy. So it's interesting. The Hanson brothers, uh, by the way, you might have forgotten their names, Zach, Taylor, and Isaac. They were actually seven siblings. The three brothers, though, formed the Hansons. Mbop was their big hit. They were asked a couple years ago what Mbop means, if you were curious. And this is Zach's answer. Mbop, as a word, represents time. It represents the fact that time passes very quickly. And so in a story about reaching for what's important and kind of driving towards the impossible dream, Mbop is telling you, go now, go now, go now. Because in a moment, in an Mbop, life will be over and have passed you by. Do you buy it? Here, I thought it was just sort of a fun sound. I, in my wildest <laughs> dreams, I would not have thought there was some deep meaning to that song. Don't question how profound Umbop is and how much thought the Hanson brothers as, uh, as kids there gave Umbop. By the way, Zach continued because he's apparently given this a lot of thought. Umbop carries a weight to it. When you're writing about an idea like the fact that life goes by in an instant, that's what Umbop is about. And Umbop is about sort of hold on to the things that matter to you because so much of the world is just noise. Now that I think about it, when I was younger, that's when I was most philosophical and thought about stuff like that. At this age, I'm just trying to like, I'm just trying to survive and basically get through minute to minute. Um, so I guess it, it does kind of make sense that they were getting deep. Jill, I feel like Mbop, now that I know the meaning behind it, feels like a version of the Ferris Bueller quote, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Another profound statement from an influential teenager. Yes. Um, Jill, I feel like this podcast went by in an umbop. <laughs> it always does, Bosch. Uh, we do want to thank everyone for listening to Nemo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And there is a new way to reach out to us. We have a 1-800 number. It's free. Don't worry. 1-800-711-MOSH. Please leave your name where you live and your question about the news, and we may answer your question and play your voicemail on a future episode. So check it out, 1-800-711-MOSH. Don't forget to also follow us, of course, on the Instagram account at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H. -E All right, bye, everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.